Amen. So, Christmas is definitely a time for, for good food. It's definitely a time for presents. It's definitely a time for seeing family. And I'm very privileged to have my family here with us today, mostly in the front row, lurking around here and there. Uh, it's wonderful to have them with us for the next couple of days. And, uh, but here's the thing. We're celebrating not just Christmas Day, not just Santa Claus, although Santa Claus is amazing. We're celebrating a day in history, a specific day, the 25th of December. Now we know, those of us who have read about this at all, know that Jesus' birthday may not have been on the 25th of December. Guess what? Who cares? It really doesn't matter. All it is is an opportunity in the year where we get to celebrate his birth. Whether it's on the day or not is really quite irrelevant. But it's a day in history, and this is not irrelevant. That the Savior of the world, the creator of everything, wrapped himself in flesh and came to be amongst people that he created. It's quite an incredible thought to think of what that was. To to give up his riches, to give up his glory, to give up his palace, to give up where he's living. Everything that he's got as creator, with no lack, with no limitations. And to come down and to... And to cry, and to need his nappy changed, and to learn how to use a toilet, and to all these things that are restrictive, and limiting, and difficult, and human. It's an absolutely incredible thing that we're actually celebrating here today. And it's not easy to get your head around what happened. And it's especially not easy to get your head around what happened when you think of how messy the first Christmas was. When you think of how it just wasn't, it just didn't seem well planned. I mean, that's me. Look, if, if it's me and you get to know me a little bit, you're going to know that I, I'm kind of fall into the category of I wish this button would click. Um, of being a fixer. That's just, and you know what, I think most guys are like this. I think as soon as women start saying, you know, I'm struggling with this, let me tell you how to fix this. Uh, let me tell you the three steps that's going to take for you to become better again. Uh, or whatever it be. But that's the thing. I'm a fixer. I like things to be organized. I like them to be structured. I like things to work well. I like systems. I like order. That doesn't make me a rigid, I'm sounding like a really rigid guy here who can't go out. But I like things that work well. I like to make a system work and be able to step back and let it work over there. And it just runs by itself. For me, that's a good feeling. I like that. And so I look at the Christmas story and I think this thing needs a lot of fixing. Something does not look right here. I see a massive remorse. It was a mess. Sometimes I think I'd love to iron out the wrinkles in the Christmas story. You know, there's just some things there that just, man, if I could have written the story, I might have done things a little bit differently with my personality and the way that God's wired me. Couldn't the birth of Christ, the Savior of the world, have been smoother, cleaner, grander, better organized? So here's the thought. What would Christmas What would the Christmas story look like if everything went well? I want to look at just one or two of the main events in the story of Jesus' birth and see where where maybe there are other people here as well who would have liked to clean things up a bit if you've ever thought about it. The first thing is this. Mary became pregnant while she was engaged. Well, if there was ever a scandal... That would have been it, okay? 
it's not the same as it is today. Today, that's actually not that unusual. It's not that uncommon. It's not that, you know, I'm not saying that it's right. I'm just saying that that's the way, that's the system and the culture that we live in today. But in those days, it was a really big problem. If you were a teenager who was engaged, engagement was a serious commitment. I don't know if you know this. If you wanted to break off an engagement, you needed a certificate of divorce. So engagement wasn't what it is today. Okay, it was a very, very serious thing. So obviously, being a serious thing, it was, it was like our marriage today. If you woke up one morning and your fiancé came over from her place and she was glowing, okay, for the sake of children in here. <laughs> if she was glowing, <clears throat> that would raise some serious questions. Straight away, you'd say, what would you, what would you think? You're going to think, well, I know it wasn't me. I didn't do this. So your first question is, who did do this, right? I mean, what happened here? How did this thing occur? And the chances are you'd probably feel hurt, angry, confused. And here's some really difficult news to swallow. You're asking her, who? She says, God. Then you go, oh, I married a mental case. I married, this this is way worse than I thought, (laughs) You know, I mean, you need to think of this in real terms. This wasn't, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't read the story. It wasn't a cute nativity that sat on their mantelpiece. They're in the situation. This is, a, this is something that is punishable, literally, by death. And it was highly embarrassing and awkward. And now you had to break off this engagement. And, and she says, no, it, it wasn't you. It was God. That puts you in a seriously difficult position as a man. How do you explain this to your parents and your friends? I swear it wasn't me. And everyone goes, it was God, right? Yeah, we heard the story. No, I swear it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. But you've got to explain it. And, there's a, and it's not just, you know, like I say, in today's culture, that would be like, oh, my goodness, oh, well, let's come around and support. But in those days, it was like, let's take you to the outside of the city and finish this because it's just not allowed. And so it's a, it's a very hectic thing to have happened. The Bible says that Joseph was a good man. So he was going to get divorced to Mary quietly so that she wasn't disgraced. But actually, the bottom line and the reality of the situation is they were both going to be completely humiliated and disgraced. There wasn't a way around that. Everyone who knew them would have seen what had happened and would have had questions. So here's the thing. If we took that wrinkle of the disgrace and the humiliation and the possible divorce and the difficulty that came with the circumstances that surrounded Jesus' conception. And we ironed out that wrinkle. Maybe Joseph and Mary would have been married before Jesus was conceived. That could be one way to iron out the wrinkle and just make the story a little bit easier, a little bit more palatable, a little less embarrassing and disgraceful. There's one big problem that comes with that, and this is a really, really big deal is that there would always be the chance and the thought in people's minds that this is his baby. You see, they're married now, and they're together. And you say it's God that did this, but you guys were married. How can we possibly know? And so that wrinkle, maybe doing it the perfect fixer way, wouldn't have actually been the right thing to do in that circumstance because it probably would have raised questions up until this day about was it really like that or wasn't it really like that. So I suppose there really isn't a better way. God could have kept the human element 
out of Jesus' conception. Okay, so let's look at something else there. Maybe there's another area that we can fix. There was nowhere to stay or to give birth. Now, this is pretty much like Crawford at Christmas time, okay? This is like B&Bs, no vacancies, everyone's full, can't take any more people. Um, or during, what's that school thing, that event that happens, into schools, and there's just people everywhere. Uh, it's probably that sort of thing that happens. But to me, and I don't mean to be dis- disrespectful in any way, that seems like an oversight of God. Because here you've got this, this now you, you, you know, this is God, inside of Mary, and you're traveling, that's already not a nice thing. I mean, if anyone here has been pregnant, uh, and you've been pregnant for sort of your late 30 weeks, 35, 36, 37 weeks, that's the state that she was riding on the back of a donkey. Okay, so it's probably not something most women would want uh, when they're about to give birth. But here she has to go for a week traveling like that. And then she gets to the place where they need to be. And there's literally nowhere for them to stay. And at that time, the Roman emperor uh, ordered a census to be done, and they were counting people. Uh, And so everyone had to go to their hometowns, which meant that they had to now travel to wherever they'd come from. Everyone had to pack, they had to stop their farms, they had to stop their carpentry business, they had to stop everything that they were doing and go back and trek back, because obviously they didn't drive or fly, and they would trek back to the village or the town or wherever it was that they were born. And they would have to sign a register, I was born here, this is me, this is where I was from, and so that they could count all the people uh, that were in all the different uh, places. And uh, heavy congestion in the towns. You know, everyone descending on these small towns. Imagine everyone from Hrafrenet who was around Africa, around the world, and we suddenly said, okay, everyone who was born in Hrafrenet or who lived in Hrafrenet needs to come back to Hrafrenet now. You can imagine. There would literally be no space for anything. We wouldn't have a problem with taxis and GP license plates. We would have a serious problem in every way uh, because people would be flocking back here. So when Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem, there wasn't anywhere for them to stay the night. They had to rest somewhere. And the only place that they could rest was, you know, some, some would say a stable. That's the most common. Some would say a cave or like an overhang. But basically the bottom line is that it was a place where animals would get shelter for the night. They would maybe have something to feed and something to sleep on. And, uh, and they would rest there. That just seems like a massive oversight to me. Like you thought of all the details, but God, why didn't you think of this small thing? And have you ever thought of how messy Jesus' birth really was? You know, those nativity scenes that sit on top of your fireplace and everywhere else, those beautiful postcards that you get that have Jesus snuggling with the sheep and have Mary and Joseph looking so amazing and they're beautiful and they just look like they came out of GQ or something. And and they're looking fantastic and the sheep are all looking clean and pristine and, you know, like he's lying in this beautiful hay that's golden and even glows a little bit and, and, and sometimes on a card you'll get some, you know, halo around his head and he never cries. I don't think it was like that. I think it was extremely messy. And I'm glad that I'm in a farming community because no one knows how dirty animals can be better than people who farm with animals. And I've only seen that for myself firsthand this year. Just to see, man, I thought lambs were cute. They're disgusting. They're just like, ugh. You know, there's nothing pretty about these things. This isn't some heavenly animal, you know. Um, This is gross. And it eats gross things and it makes mess everywhere. And it's just, you know, like, uh, but that's the situation that Jesus came into. Completely messy. I was there for the birth of both my girls. 
I was very fortunate and blessed uh, to be there. And I was grateful that it was organized. I was grateful that we had a team of people with us. We had an anesthetist. We had a child thing. What's that? Pediatrician. I don't know. We had, he, yeah, he took photos of the girls because I was looking pale. And he said, yeah, give me the camera before you fall and break it. And so I sat and he took nice photos. Uh, we had surgeons and nurses. We had sterile instruments. We had plenty of light. It was an incredible theater that just everything worked together beautifully. They'd done this a million times. And it just was this quick not clean, but easy process, and it just happened. I'm, I'm just going to show you my kids' birthing videos now. Quick, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Even I would cringe at that. <laughs> Sarah almost ran out the room. But the birth of Jesus was more like a late-night surgery, a late-night emergency delivery that had to happen with nothing clean, nothing sterilized, terrible light, in a place that was noisy, messy, stinky, absolutely nothing romantic about the scene whatsoever. So what would have happened if the story had been a bit more ironed out, a little, you know, less wrinkles in it? Maybe there would have been room at the stable for two more people. We could have had a luxury nativity, okay? They could have got into a four-star B&B and actually got in there and, and done what they needed to do. And perhaps in the room next door to them would have been the most fantastic midwife Bethlehem had ever had. And it would have just worked so well. It would have been clean and beautiful. It wouldn't have been the smell and all those other things that happened. But here's the strange thing. It creates another set of problems that maybe you've never thought of. When you think about it, it's unlikely that any innkeeper would have allowed a group of dirty shepherds into their inn or into their B&B. It's unlikely that they would have said, oh no, come, traipse your mud in here. Come with your dirty smells. Come with your, I haven't bathed in two weeks and I've been looking after sheep uh, smells. And come in and, and come and see this baby in this room, which looks so beautiful. It's unlikely. It's seriously unlikely. It probably wouldn't have happened. And that's extremely important because it's always been his association with the weak, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the disempowered that has made Jesus so approachable. And it started all the way at his birth. It's unlikely that the owner of the B&B would have been cool with an entourage arriving from the east, bearing gifts with their camels and unloading. And hey, do you mind if I just tie this onto your parking lot? You know, we've got stuff to do inside. Who, no. The chances are, again, he would have had a problem. And that also was so important because they speculate. They don't know this for sure. But what they think is the gifts that Jesus got. You know what he got? Anyone? Frankenstein? Myrrh? Yeah. So gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Perfume, gold. Expensive things. That's the bottom line. They speculate that those are the things that actually helped his family have family to... to um, uh, to flee because they needed to then flee from Bethlehem to Egypt and live there as refugees for four years. And they said, where did they get the cash to do that? And a lot of scholars believe that it was from the stuff that he received as a baby, those gifts that they enabled him to travel and go and to actually live for four years. No one's working there, not as far as we know, uh, but they were able to support themselves and travel and that sort of thing. So what a massively important key that was that might have just been left off 
if he was born in some sort of luxury suite at a hospital. So I guess that intervention probably wouldn't have been so perfect either. You know, there were other critical parts of the story, and I'm not going to go into detail about them, but they're parts of the story we might have written slightly differently if it were up to us. Like the fact, and I mentioned this, that Mary and Joseph had to walk for over a week when she was in her last weeks of pregnancy. God, wasn't there a better way? Or that the paranoid and absolutely psychotic King Herod ordered the execution of boys under two, which caused him to flee to Egypt. God, wasn't there a better way? Or that they even had to live like refugees in Egypt for the first four years of Jesus' life because they were waiting for King Herod to die. We'll get the license plate for that in a moment. Don't worry. We'll, We'll put it up here. So, the bottom line. Let's have that next one there, Cindy. The bottom line is that the story wasn't picture perfect. It wasn't this rich Jesus born in a rich hotel in a rich suite somewhere. And the reason is, who would that have appealed to and applied to? 1% of the world's population. That's the bottom line. You see, by being born where he was, the way he was, and how he was, that made him approachable to every single person on the planet. It made him relatable to every single person on the planet. So the story of Jesus wasn't picture perfect. And the reason is this. Jesus wasn't coming into a perfect world. He was coming into this one. Had Jesus been born into a wealthy and influential royal family and a huge palace, he would have cut out so much of the population. He didn't come and overpower us with his military strategy and his new way of doing things and his incredible you know, charisma or his dashing good looks, or his power, or his fame, or his money. But he gently reached out to us. And God didn't come to us because he needed to be a hero. He came to us because we were desperate for a savior. Jesus was born, he lived, he was killed, and he was raised to life for one reason, and one reason alone, to make a way for us to be in relationship with God. What we celebrate today, and I think it was mentioned in one of the songs here, is this Emmanuel. You've heard the word before, Emmanuel. You'll sing it in certain of the carols and that sort of thing. But the word is a very special word. And the Bible says that he'll be known as Emmanuel. That doesn't mean his name. It means it'll be one of the characteristics he'll be known as. He will be known as Emmanuel. And that means God with us, God amongst us, God here in our presence. That's who Jesus was. And he is and was known as that. His death and resurrection took that a step further. It wasn't then just God with us. It became God in us as we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. For all its messiness, let's, I don't know what's going on there. Oh, you see that? It's a picture. He turned the nativity upside down. There you go. That's why I put that in there. <laughs> For all its messiness, the Christmas story makes some things crystal clear. Number one, this remote is a nightmare. Take me. Number one, God loves you. And he's gone through extreme lengths to prove it. He's literally dethroned himself to prove how much he loves us. 
and then took himself to the point of death, even though he knew that throughout the ages people would say, no, I don't believe that. No, it's not real. That's not, that's not. He, he did it knowing that so many people wouldn't accept it. But isn't that awesome? He loves us and he's gone through extreme lengths to show it. The next thing is God wants us. As I said, the only reason he did any of this was so that he could partner with us in this life, that we could be in relationship with him. And the third thing, and you can pick this up just from the messiness of the story, is that God has a plan for your life. When things look like they are an absolute chamos, when they are a mess, when they are a nightmare, when things don't look right, you can only imagine how Mary and Joseph felt. And they travel, and it's like, oh, is there going to be another obstacle? You get to the end, it's full. Oh, is there going to be another obstacle? Oh, it's a stable, and it's full of animals. Is there going to be another obstacle? Now we have to flee to Egypt. Is there going to be another? You know, and you can just see these guys, oh, finished. But the awesome thing was now when we look back, we can see God had every little detail. He had them in the absolute palm of his hand. And although they couldn't see it, they trusted and they believed that God had a better plan and a bigger plan for their lives than they knew. And God doesn't just have that for Mary and Joseph. He has a plan for us, even when it doesn't look like it. And as seemingly imperfect, perfectly as his life began, it was exactly the way God wanted the first Christmas to be. So I trust that you will have a special and a wonderful day as you eat and drink and spend time with family. We're going to pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, just a few minutes where we can remember the real depth and meaning behind Christmas. Lord, that we can remember what you did for us. Coming down here, being with your creation, showing us a better way, and then making that way possible for us. Lord, we thank you so much for it. Help us never to lose sight of that with a view of, other things that are around us on a day like today. We thank you first and foremost for your son, Jesus Christ, who was born and that we can celebrate that. Amen.